Hey there. Welcome to Twins Talk Clear-Cut Communication. Yes, we are twins. And yes, we are two old guys who should know better than to try to tackle the topic of communication in a podcast. But we're going to do it anyway, and hopefully you'll find it informative and maybe even enjoyable. Hey, we're coming to you from Ding Dong, Texas. And Ray, you said you particularly like that term. <laughs> For some reason, that resonated with me. Our feelings regarding what's going on in Texas politics. Yeah, unfortunately, they're mostly political, but Ding Dong sounds right. Yes, it fits the landscape of Texas politics and politicians, most of them being Ding Dong. Yeah, they, they bled over into Tennessee. I don't know if Tennessee came first, but we have our share of great dongs ding, and dongs. <laughs> well, I suspect we do not have a large demographic in Ding Dong, Texas. I mean, I'm not even sure outside of Austin that we have much of a demographic in Texas. But if you're listening to us and you come from Ding Dong, Texas, feel free to write us. Be critical of our criticism of you all. We're okay with that. But we do think of Texas a little bit ding-dong these days. Oh, yeah, sure. Tell them to be feel free to ring our bell, those who are ding-dong. <laughs> feel free to ring our bell. Well, anyway, we're working on dialogue. And as we uh, finished the last episode, we said we needed to think about going back and reclaiming some of the points because we felt like we moved through that pretty quickly. And there were some points that we wanted to take a bit more time and talk about. And so maybe you could tee that up for us, Ray, and we'll have a brief conversation. And then so that the listening audience knows where we're headed, we want to move on this episode to just the conversation about different kinds of conversations that you can have, either individually or in groups, that we think are worth making a distinction about. So fire away, Bear. Okay. Well, one of the things I think would make this theme worth listening to is the idea of what outcomes tend to get produced as a function or byproduct of dialogue. Certainly one of the outcomes, dialogue conversation, would be advancing an agenda. You can you can move things along with dialogue in a much more productive manner than if you're in debate or you're in just light conversation, casual conversation. Uh, dialogue really does cause good things to happen in, in terms of an agenda or an outcome. But maybe it's worth pointing out that our essential position is going to be dialogue can achieve all three outcomes simultaneously. There are other methods of communication where any one of the outcomes can be achieved, but to the cost of not achieving the others. For example, I think of authoritarian statements can ad advance an agenda. I can make the statement, hey, when I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. And so at that point, I'm advancing my agenda, but it's not advancing an agenda that we both might share. So we want people to be thinking what dialogue does for you and your engagement in this kind of conversation gives you the greatest chance of achieving all three outcomes simultaneously, which are rare. Sorry to interrupt, but I thought maybe- That's that okay. That, that's a great point. That's exactly part of what the motivation should be to, to move toward dialogue. Uh, that second uh, element that you're talking about, the three that you can accomplish simultaneously, is shared learning. The people now have common language, common understanding, common ideas uh, mm -hmm. about thinking about things. Because often in conversation, what creates blockage is that people are talking about one thing and they're seeing it differently. Mm -hmm. They think they're talking about the same thing, but actually they're talking about two different things because of the way they see it. So a shared meaning, a shared learning is a byproduct of effective dialogue. And after we talk about these three elements, one of the things we're going to talk about is what are some of the benefits 
or what's the nature or the benefits of this kind of conversation. And one of the things I would comment on is alignment. That's going to show up under a benefit of engaging in dialogue. You get increased alignment. And in my mind, that connects right here with what you're talking about, that when you get shared learning and shared understanding, when people begin to understand collectively what we're talking about, you're getting much greater alignment. And I think sometimes people in individual personal relationships, in executive relationships, don't have a good sense of, well, how do I get alignment? I need alignment. I know I want it, but I'm continuing to try to force it. Maybe we think if I talk long enough and hard enough and let them know my position strong enough, I'll get alignment. And you know, Bob, oh, go ahead. You, you inserting that word alignment prompts me to want to ask you to define it or, or to, to explain it a little bit better, because I think that word other than my front tires and them being aligned, I don't tend to use it much. But in the context of you you thinking of conversation, why don't you just go a little bit further with what you mean by alignment? Okay, I'm going to put it in the organizational context. And certainly as consultants, consistently we hear executives talking about, we need to get the whole organizational aligned. We need to get them, I almost want to use the term in line in order to progress and achieve what we want to achieve. So alignment is, in my mind, getting people not only to agree, but to understand what we're about in such a way that they could operate in the ways we all want to operate. And in the same way I'm operating without me hovering over them. Now, have I overrun myself? Is this the no, 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 I, no, no, that, that doesn't. When I think of the word alignment, my natural reaction is to think of pulling together rather than pulling apart. Oh, it's that simple. Yeah. Well, to me, it's like a car. That's great. When my tires are in alignment, both the wheels go in the same direction. They they don't pull against each other. They're not they're not struggling to stay on, on track. Uh, another a third outcome of dialogue is enhanced relationships. Now, by enhanced, to me, what that means is we can have more meaningful relationships. We can have more fluid relationships in a work setting. We can have more compatible collegial relationships. So enhanced doesn't always mean one thing, feeling better. Mm -hmm. It means that the work goes smoother, that we can't function, we can fit together. But the dialogue does produce that. It's very clear and very consistent, and you can count on it. And if you're in dialogue, the relationships within that group will be enhanced. And it produces it while you're still achieving an agenda and even increasing understanding and learning. I think one of the things that I see, particularly in executives, they often think I'm going to have to sacrifice relationships in order to get my agenda advanced. It's one or the other. It's not that I can achieve them both simultaneously. And what we're arguing for is that dialogue has the greatest chance of achieving all three simultaneously, that you don't have to sacrifice the agenda in order to enhance the relationship. And as you said, it's not always just about we're going to feel good and we're going to have a love fest here. It's more about being able to maintain all three and move forward in all three categories. One of the things I want to do going forward, because this theme to me is so important, so valuable, I'd want the listeners to consider putting our comment and the, the ideas we're sharing in a context of who they need to have dialogue with. Hmm. So as we're talking, I'd like our listeners to be thinking, okay, who do I need to create a dialogue with and apply all of this information? Is it a group setting? Do I need to create a dialogue in a group I'm in? Or is there a single individual I need to have a fierce conversation with? Uh, I think a context would cause people to begin to apply this information and be more focused in how it might work if they gave it that boundary. So I'm going to encourage listeners at this point, as we go further and talk about dialogue, keep in mind who you might choose to have a dialogue with in the near future, that this information can be useful uh, in that conversation. 
And to use that as kind of a personal case study to bounce these ideas against, right? So the notion is it really aids the listener to have a case in mind, whether it's an individual, whether it's my organization, whether it's I'm in an executive role and I have someone reporting to me and I feel like, you know, we haven't gotten there. I need to have this kind of conversation with them if the twins are correct. I had said at the end of the last podcast where we were headed uh, was to continue this conversation about dialogue and get focused on the different forms of conversation that we might have. But I wanted to talk about things that we're planning on doing so that people have an idea of where we're headed. We did say we want to talk about how dialogue compares with other forms of interpersonal or group communication, which we hope to get at least started on this episode. We also want to talk about how do you know? How do you know when you're engaged in dialogue versus another form of communication. And one of the necessary conditions for dialogue to occur. And then the last thing we might want to explore, talk about is what are some of the barriers to dialogue? Because in all cases, even though we're making it sound pretty simple and straightforward, there are lots of barriers to engaging in this kind of conversation. So that's one of the things we want to raise. Does all that make sense to you, Bear? I mean, that's the reason we were heading. Those who address this issue of dialogue as being distinctive form of communication from other forms tend to think of it as four forms of interaction. And out of convenience, I think they put them in a group category. But I personally believe these could equally be interpersonal types of conversation. These do not have to be group, but it helps us to have a context. So what I'm going to suggest is we use a group context as the context and let the listener translate these into one-on-one personal conversations. But I think it's going to be a pretty easy translation. You want to speak to the four? Sure. Mm -hmm. To me, the most inefficient and largely unproductive form of communication, interaction, and group is raw debate. Mm. It's when people come into the room, come into the group with ideas they want to advocate, they want to push, and are unwilling necessarily to listen to others. They only listen to others long enough to get their opposition in line so they can express it. Mm-hmm. So debate is, by and large, an adversarial contact in which very often my intent is to win. Mm-hmm. My intent is to persuade, not be persuaded. My intent is to drive the conversation in a direction and not have it slowed down by resistance. And you know, when you say it's the most inefficient form, it's interesting because when we think about formal debate, it's timed, it has rules, it's very exacting. And yet I suspect, or let me ask you, when you think of it as being inefficient, what's in your mind that says, this is not an efficient form of interaction? Well, to me, it's open exchange. It doesn't have any rules. It may have a facilitator. It may have someone who's monitoring it, but people don't approach it as a structured conversation. Mm. They don't view themselves as having time limits. And very often in a debate, uh, people are shouted down. People mm-hmm. are over overtalked. And in our recent political environment, uh, this kind of conversation is constant and predictable in terms of it will have no positive outcome. Mm. It, will, it won't result in anything that creatively can answer whatever the issue was that was trying to be addressed. I mean, my thinking right now, if I I were to think of raw debate in the viral form, the video viral form, it's school board meetings over mask mandates. These things turn into absolute brawls. Mm -hmm. And that would be raw debate at its most ineffective and at its, its highest energy, but least productivity. 
And so I'm hearing you say, really, the ineffectiveness of it is that it's in the collective form. That is, we collectively are not going to get anywhere. We're not going to produce anything in this kind of conversation. It's just going to be yelling at one another. Now, if catharsis is the only thing I want, because in watching some of these videos, my reaction is, well, someone felt good at the end of that. That person let off steam. They really tried to blow everybody away. They got to say all their angry things. And so they feel cathartically very good, but nothing happened. Nothing really changed. Nothing really got done. And I think one of the true characteristics of debate for people out there thinking, well, I like to engage in some forms of debate is that it is fundamentally just advocacy. One person advocating against another and the other person advocating back. And there really is only one view. And that's my view. I'm not really interested in your view, as you said, except how I can counter it. So ultimately, my whole purpose in getting in the conversation is to forcefully present my view. And that's all I want to do. And there is a presumption built in there that as a result, I'll change your mind. But what we're saying is, no, that latter point just doesn't happen. People don't change their minds that easily when someone's just kind of advocating in the strongest possible way. So, okay. So debates, I'm going to suggest at one end of that continuum. Anything else you want to go or you want to go to the next? Oh, yeah. We can go to the next one. The next step up, so to speak, on the continuum would be turning debate into polite discussion which is still, to me, debate, but with rules mm. and with consideration and with a modicum of decorum that doesn't offend, an effort at not offending, but getting your point across. Although the behavior is different, the outcome is similar. Mm. In this polite discussion, people are still advocating their views, tend to be only interested in the other views in that it gives them information to use to counter, like you said. So polite discussion is far less dangerous, far less risky to me because it doesn't tend to generate the hostility or the adversarial quality that open raw debate does. Mm -hmm. And it's a little bit more disciplined, a little bit more structured, but in order for it to be effective, it has to have a time frame. You know, I'd almost go way back to our second or third episode and use the model we talked about as expressives, conventionals, and rhetoricals. And Polite discussion so fits the conventional exactly. belief about good communication. It's about being appropriate. It's about fitting the situation, whereas we might even think of debate as more closely aligned with expressives. Although in our culture, expressives soon learn that, no, you got to engage in polite discussion. But as you said, there's not much difference there, except in terms of the, the volume and the heat involved. Although interestingly, what I find is that in meetings that we've consulted in, Executives will say, I'm tired of this polite discussion. We're getting nowhere. And then their thought will be, I'm going to move this to debate. Any thoughts on that when you when you hear an executive say, well, I'm kind of reached my limit with this polite discussion. We're not getting anywhere. Everybody's just trying to be nice. And we know that we got to get somewhere. So I'm going to suggest we go to debate. Yeah, I think the end of polite discussion or the conclusion of someone bringing polite discussion to an end is often the function of impatience. Hmm. It's often a function of that sensation that we're really not getting anywhere and we're doing it politely. Mm -hmm. The idea that we'll get somewhere if we're not polite, we'll get somewhere if we're a little bit more energetic, if we're a little bit more hostile, I also think is a (laughs) flawed assumption. Mm -hmm. Well, so we can get the model set up in this episode. With the few minutes we have remaining, you want to just hit on the last two, and then we'll kind of flesh those out and maybe do it in the next episode, really get yeah, at it? Stepping, stepping forward from polite discussion is skillful discussion or skilled discussion. Now, that might involve a facilitator. If there is not one available, then it involves more rules. Mm. 
involves more uh, interactive rules, which is to say, before you assert your position, you have to explain what you've heard so far. You have to explain another person's position. Mm -hmm. So in skillful discussion, you're requiring people to stay open long enough that they have to at least understand, comprehend, and be able to explain as much as they do understand what the other person is saying. Mm -hmm. So to me, skillful discussion is clearly a step up in that it now requires me to ask some questions, to understand what my colleagues are saying in a group setting, to clarify what their perception is of where we're headed, of what the theme is, what the problem is. And it generally doesn't descend into any kind of high energy adversarial quality, which is another positive to me of moving to skillful discussion. And it does have a time limit. So it's not endless. It's it's not prolonged in a way that causes too much impatience. You can put time frames around it. And, And I think in a business setting, often this is the one, if you can get people even to step up to this, will produce better results. You know, it strikes me that what you're saying is the move from polite discussion to skilled or skillful discussion really involves an increased focus on the other. That is, in debate, my focus is almost exclusively on me. It's all about me and my position. In polite discussion, I'm at least politely paying attention to other people's points of view, but I am maintaining my own. In skillful discussion, I'm beginning to have to address and pay attention to and even maybe understand the other person's perspective before we can move on. So you're seeing this progression of a movement away from it's it's totally about me and it's totally about my view, much more to a movement towards, well, my view is still there, but I'm also paying a bit more attention to the other person's point of view. Fair enough? Yes, sounds right to me. That fourth form of interaction, group interaction, is the word we're using, dialogue. Mm -hmm. It's moving the conversation into a place where I'm, I'm inquiring, I'm asking what's going on with others. I'm asking for clarification. And what it involves to me is primarily suspending my own views, not dismissing them, not not abandoning them, but suspending them and operating in an environment where I'm not stating opinions. I'm not not constantly advocating my view. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're going to say about the model is that Moving along these four stages, moving through these four stages, is changing the balance from advocacy to inquiry. Yes. And if if I'm solely advocating, I'm in the debate range. Mm-hmm. If I'm mostly inquiring, I'm moving toward dialogue. And when I'm almost solely inquiring, doing virtually no advocacy, I can pretty much consider myself attempting to create dialogue. Yes. In fact, I think that's a great analogy of not only the movement, but a critical principle involved in terms of trying to figure out where am I on this continuum? Where are we on this continuum? And I think that's where we want to start in our next episode, or what are the indicators that you're involved in one or the other kinds of conversations? And we've got a couple ideas there. So I think for today, we've kind of put the model out there. We'll be ready to unpack it next episode. Sounds good. The twins are done talking for today. Now it's your turn. We'd love to hear from you with feedback regarding today's theme or a situation you'd like us to step into during a future session. You can reach us at twintalk46 at gmail.com.
Remember, no communication problem is so big, so complicated, or so intense that we can't make it larger, more complex, or more dangerous than it already is, almost effortlessly. And we'd like to thank Kevin McLeod for the score that both began and ended this podcast. Thank you.